Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today I'm sitting down with Ollie Taylor, Chief Strategy Officer at Host Havis Australia. Welcome Ollie. Thank you very much. Um, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, look, uh, I'm, I was looking forward to this conversation. I, well, I'm still looking forward <laughs> to this conversation. Um because uh, you are what I would consider one of the pure strategists in advertising, from my perspective. Do you want to know why? I'd love to know why. Yes, thank you very much. Well, because I see your career as, you know, you've, you've had the training in some of the best, you know, strategic mm-hmm. agencies uh, like uh, DMBNB in London and, and yeah. Fallon. Yeah. And you've always been in that strategic yeah. role. Whereas, you know, unlike other people that have come into the industry, either creative or account mm. management, and moved into strategy, what, what brought you into this role? Was it uh, accident or a deliberate choice? I think it was, a, it was, it was partly accident, but I realised when I got it that it was the job I'd always wanted. I'd always been sort of fascinated by consumer behaviour, although you didn't call it consumer behaviour when you were at university, it was just sort of how people act. I, I remember once hearing a fact which I just thought was fascinating that the lowest socioeconomic groups in the UK would spend more money on toilet paper than, than anyone else. And, and I sort of couldn't understand why. And then you sort of realise that consumer behaviour is, is sort of fascinating. Uh, and I don't know, I just, I found I got more interested by insights, what the consumer problem was, um, and then how you go about what, what the solution is, as much as I did the creative idea that came out of it. So, so let me clarify that. Yeah. You're not saying that uh, lower socioeconomic groups are scrunches and therefore they consume more toilet paper. It, They'd actually be willing to pay a premium it, exactly for things that. like toilet paper. Exactly that, because it was, uh, you know, people there's a human need to to want to you know have, have, have the best way you can and in certain instances people are making decisions about where they could spend high stuff and i just thought on the surface that's a really weird but when you look into it it's classic human behavior whether you're buying a bentley because you've got inexhaustible amounts of, of money or you're buying premium mover and i just thought this was wow what, what a Weird, what a weird job. That, that, that's really uh, touched me because my mother came from very humble beginnings and we always grew up with Cousins Imperial Leather oh, right, shampoo the same thing. because for her, she said, this is my way of treating yeah. myself. You know? And all the advertising spoke to it. You know, this family mm. in a jet going off on their holidays yeah. while they're sitting in a bath. You know? the, yeah. This was the ultimate in uh, indulgence and luxury. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a whole very famous campaign in the UK, like uh, Blue Velvet, Hyacinth Bouquet, was, all, was entirely about premium new role. And I think that when you, I find that there's some of the psychology behind it, I still find it fascinating. And yeah, I think, you know, as the industry changes, when I first started, I think strategic planning was, what's the insight in the brief for a 30 second TV ad? And I still found that fascinating. Then it moved into 
I, and I was always drawn by the fact that the solution shouldn't, or the problem shouldn't dictate what, what the creative solution was, which led me to, to Fallon, which was more like that, but it was very high quality of creative output and planning was extremely well uh, respected there because they could see that it would help get to a cre better creative output. And that led to Host, which was a call out of the blue from Anthony, which the whole model of Host, which was what's the problem and therefore what's the strategy. And if you have a series of creative partners that all have a different skill set, you can adequately choose what is the best solution as opposed to going, this solution is advertising and now let's work out how we best use it. And I think that that put the planner in quite a privileged position uh, and you put you at the, at the centre of it. And whilst I've been in Australia for you know, 17 years, professionally, I've always been extremely happy in that role. And I, and I think that the industry, as you would know, moves on every few years. And I still think the application of strategy and making complex stuff simple, all the things that good planners do is, is universal. And it, and it doesn't, I, I don't have any, maybe I'm unambitious, I don't think I, don't think I am, but I, I still find it fascinating. Well, I mean, human beings yeah. are very fascinating. You know, they are fascinating purely by our nature. Mm. You know, and, and all that behavioural economics studies, which, you know, like Dan Airely, uh, predictably irrational. You know, the fact yeah. that human beings often act in quite irrational ways. But the interesting fact is that it becomes quite predictable when you study that behaviour, isn't it? Yeah, and even when you read books like Sapien and stuff, you're seeing a lot of these behaviours are completely hardwired. And again, some of the, I suppose, some of the irrationality of it is that you've got behaviours that are hardwired from an evolutionary perspective over thousands of years and then the world's changing decade by decade and I, I wonder whether some of our behavior hasn't understandably caught up with a rapidly changing environment but yeah I think humans are are always a huge source of interest right so it's interesting isn't it that uh, the UK is in many ways that seen as the sort of source of modern mm. planning for advertising and marketing isn't it because it became, especially in the 60s, yeah. 70s, it became the yeah. place to learn the trade, yeah. I guess. Um, what was it, what would, for you were the lessons that you carry with you, you know, when you came to Australia and in the last 17 years while you've been working here? I think that the first one I was taught in my first job was, was I'd be able to be comfortable with numbers a bit. And I think that that was the, if you wanted to have an opinion, which... I think a lot of planning is a is a is a guided opinion. You need to have done your homework in order to have that opinion, because otherwise, I think you don't have any credibility. And I think, at its best, planning is very robust, but doesn't necessarily tell you how you got to where it is, but but does. And I think at at its I think potentially at its not so good, it can be quite opinionated. And I think that it's everyone opinionated. Everyone's opinion is. Is valued, but I think that I was always taught, you know, like make sure you know what you're talking about because if you don't, you'll you'll you might be a bit like a firework, you know, you might you might be good at the beginning, but you've got to sustain it. It's uh, that that's interesting because my, one of my favourite quotes is that opinions are like assholes. Everyone <laughs> everyone has one, you know, and and in fact that yeah, you know, if all you've got is an opinion, then yeah. you, you said uh, you know. 
quite generously or charitably that uh, every's opinion's valued. But I think that in a world where everyone has an opinion and is happy to shout it from the rooftops, yeah. the ones that really stand out are the ones that are there, you know, supported with either yeah. data or facts or, or you know, a you know, uh, incontrovertible uh, observation yeah. that people take as a, a fundamental truth, you know? I think the other the other big one was that you have to be interested in creativity. If, if you're interested in strategy for just for strategy's sake, there are other places where you can apply that. And I think for me it was always, and I think I saw it and liked it quite quickly that sort of be fluent in creative ideas is is, is a is is the output that is required. You're using strategy to get to better ideas rather than strategy for strategy's sake. And I and I know, I know these things are. Are well known, but I think quite often you can, you can get lost in 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 the sort of strategy for the sake of it, and I think that's a problem with many strategies. I sort of feel, and and the and to a degree the industry of brand strategy it gets, it gets in its own way sometimes. I think it it overcomplicates it, it sort of has TM'd process about it, and and I think the the idea of strategy is, where are you and why are you there. And simply, where do you want to go to? And but I think what people often miss is that that should be ten percent of the process. The ninety percent should be how are you going to get there, and how are you making decisions that allow you to get there? And I think quite often everyone goes, "We've got it. The brand vision is X." And you sort of go, "Well, that's in my mind. I think that's the beginning." Sounds the like the J. Walter Thompson planning cycle. <laughs> where are <laughs> we now? Why are we yep. there? Where do we want to be? How do we get there? And then the one I always yeah. liked was, and how will we know when we get yes. there? You know, what will yeah. fundamentally be changed and measurable to tell us that we've actually arrived? But I think that, that people have different names and different processes. That is still at the heart of any strategy. And I think that what's interesting is in times like we are now, when, when you know, the last six months, three or four months has been faced by a whole change in context, and whether people know it or not, they are going through that process about where are we, what's changed, where might we want to be. But I think, interestingly, they're doing it much more intuitively and much quicker. And I, and I think that, that people might come out of these times with a renewed understanding of, of the benefit of having strategy because you've a, either been forced to have one, you've realised that the one you have got isn't working, so you've got to change quickly. I think it also allows you to go, oh, I never really liked that strategy. Let's have a new one. <laughs> you know, when I, think often... I think it's called pivoting. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, pivoting. Yeah, isn't that the word <laughs> yes. du jour? Yeah, yeah, is, it, let's pivot let's, on this one, let's which pivot. means completely change direction. <laughs> yeah. And we talk about it at Host Havas. You know, you can put more things on the bonfire. And I think at, at times like this, you know, you go, I think quite often strategy is incremental, isn't it? It's, what did we do last year and how are we going to do a bit more or a bit less of it? And as you say, call it pivoting, call it disruption. A radical change in, in the context allows you to, to change. And I think people get energised by that. And I think that it, it works for not just your leadership team, but everyone in your company. And people want to move quickly. And I think it allows you to get to what you think is the intuitive right answer rather than having to spend months dressing it up. I suppose. It is, uh, it is an interesting observation that as an industry, we are obsessed with strategy. 
And I'd say that from the perspective alone of the fact that there's so many of them within the same organisations. I mean, you know, we often deal with people that have a marketing strategy, a comm strategy, a media strategy, a social media strategy, an experiential, you know. Yeah. And, and when you look at these strategies, they seem to be totally disconnected. I mean, what's the obsession with strategy and how many would you recommend having? Well, two things. I think the obsession with strategy may be, well, I mean, there's another, I mean, yes, it's the right thing to think about what you're doing. Of, of course it is, I suppose. But I think perhaps people feel more comfortable in talking about strategy than they do about creative ideas, which by their nature, I think, sometimes are harder to analyse, whether it's right or wrong. I think some people are naturally more comfortable in that grey. I think a strategy gives you everybody a safer framework to discuss stuff. Um, what, what was the second part of that question? And, and how many should you have? I mean, well, I've, yes, seen, I've seen organisations where, you know, you could pull out as many different strategy yeah. documents as they have specialist <laughs> agencies. Yes, I agree. I mean... And, and all of them are going in slightly different directions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so Ollie, my, my fundamental problem is that a lot of them to me feel like sales documents because I have yet to meet a social media strategist who is not recommending social media. Uh, yes, I, I, te- I do agree with you. And I, I'm not sure that it's, I think that's a good observation. I'm not necessarily sure that people are doing it deliberately or, or doing it in a, in a sort Accidentally? Of, well, well, I just think that you end up going, social media is a really important growing task. If you're in a, a, a modern PR agency, you've got to understand it. And so to understand the strategy, you need to hire someone who is by nature interested and quite dedicated to that field. Then you get into that field and then you can't necessarily get out of that or, or start to talk about something else because the conversation you're having is about, so, is about social media. I, I totally agree with you. In, in the department that we have, we end up having a one way of, of teaching, planning. Everyone I hire tends to come with what I call a specialist, specialist skill. So we've got people who've come from media and communications agencies, we've got people who come from PR agency, people with a research background, and then they can understand and learn from each other. But ultimately, the, the idea is to go, we're going to give a, you know, a media mutual problem. You know, what the problem, a media mutual solution to a problem, as I think most people would agree is the right thing to do. I think it's harder to do it uh, unless, unless you have a more general, broader approach to it. And I think there are more similarity to strategy than there is difference in specialism. And I think there's a sometimes a, perhaps a degree of trying to elevate one channel over the other. And I, and I think it sort of depends from where you're looking at it, which one you might think is more important. But I, I would agree that I think there can be an over-specialization. And I think there needs to be probably, a, it's, it's helpful when you have a universal view of, of strat, what strategy is and branding, like a, like a have us, we sort of think about meaningful brands and it sort of comes from the observation that people don't care about brands as much as we do. So you've, and which I think is fairly sensible. <laughs> it's fairly sensible. And if you care that you, you, you know, people care less, I think it gives you a, a start point to go, well, really, does a consumer care about this? And then I don't know whether it matters whether you're in social or whether you're in radio. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that it makes any, it shouldn't make as much difference. So a long time ago when I got into advertising, there was a very old, 
Yeah, they were old then, so they must be ancient now. I won't name who they are. And they said to me, people talk about strategy and planning, but the two are actually quite different. For them, they said strategy is, there's either a problem or opportunity, and it is the way I'm going to take the resources at hand to best achieve the objective. Planning is then actually putting together the plan of how I'm implementing the strategy. And they quite differentiated between strategy and planning, whereas a lot of people use it as if they're synonyms, don't they? I think, I, you know what, in, in my career, I've never, heard the, I've never heard it described like that. And I will be taking that because I think it's a really good description of it because I do find that they're, inter, I th- I find that they're interchangeable. And I think that I, I've always thought the strategy is a little bit what is the big order. And I've always thought planning is a bit more just in the way I've grown up, applied to creative planning. I think strategy can, can be a business strategy. Planning, I think, is more crazy. But I, I like your, I liked your well, discussion. Well, they were it. saying that a strat, any sort of strategy yeah. has a planning component because yeah. once you, you know, you've answered the questions that you, you, yeah. you raised, you know, the planning yeah. cycle, where are we, why are we there, where do we want to be, and how do we get there? That's, that's one thing for either the product, mm. service, or brand, yeah. or the business. What can then happen is there's multiple channels between yeah. where where do we want to be and how do we get there is where you can have multiple plans. Yeah. As long as each of those plans are moving the overall strategy yeah. forward. And what I really liked about it is that some, you know, having a science background, I, I you know, scientists are looking for the great unifying theory of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it yeah. suddenly became that strategy was the unifying yeah. pla- you know, plan or stra- strategic approach to solving a problem or, or creating a change and that the plans were the individual plans of the way you do it. So then you could have a social media plan, you'd have a paid media plan, you'd have an mm. e- e- events plan, a PR plan, a, a mm. communication, yeah. overall communications plan. But they weren't separate strategies because yeah, there was one. only one strategy yeah, no, I, I with one objective. I agree with you. Maybe that's not great for a podcast, but I really, I do really agree with you. And I think too much time is spent perhaps putting more effort into the strategy, but actually the strategy should be quite simple and putting more effort into more planning, i.e. having more, more steps. What, what is the action that you are taking? And I remember reading some books that sort of said, you haven't, how many decisions have you made today that helps you move on your strategy mm. and if and if you haven't if you aren't making any then it's either the wrong strategy or you or you or you're focusing on the wrong part of it you know mm. i think too often strategies sit on shelves and you know we want to be x as a brand and less about here are the 15 things we've done today in order to move us on and i think that works because when you're in a you know when you when you, as you would know when you're in a leadership position you're 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 planning and strategizing for your own business as much as you are for, for clients. And I often think that communication agencies are less strategic on their own business than they are on, on, on others. I, I'd absolutely agree. <laughs> having worked in them yeah. and now Looking having worked them. with them, yeah. you know, or, or looked at them. Yeah. Um, you mentioned it earlier, you know, the, mm. the, the uh, COVID pandemic and the disruption that that's caused. Uh, and during this time, you've actually been, look, you, Ollie Taylor, but also uh, Havis, 
have been really active in producing weekly updates and yeah. insights. So, uh, what was the motivation, or where did that come from? Because they've been incredibly insightful. Yes, it was. Uh, we just thought that we've got a simple, simple strategy for our own business, right? And one of those bits is being indispensable to clients, and I think that, and the other one is win new business, unsurprisingly, and the third one is make people feel, create a culture where they can do their best ever work. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not uncomfortable sharing that because it's fairly basic because I think that our business is, is hard, but it's not complicated and nor should it be. So the number one... No rocket science here. No, but I mean, it's, it's hard, but it's not complicated, right? So the, being indispensable to clients, we thought at that point was, and not as a PR thing, it was only to our clients. How can we update them every Friday in, in a way that was give examples of what other brands are doing, but also do it in quite a Friday afternoon kind of way, in the sense that bite size and, and make people feel that actually there is some opportunity in this, as opposed to being doom and gloom. And it sort of grew from there. And then because we did it to our, only to our clients, we'd get emails going, thank you. That was like, I really enjoyed reading that. It's the nicest thing I've read this week kind of thing. And so we then obviously liking the dopamine rush, we ended up doing more and more of it. And it's sort of, um, we then added to that and did some own, our own quant around what makes a brand meaningful in, in this time. And then I think everybody, I think there started to be a bit more of a consensus. And I think that most opinion pieces at that point then started to sort of converging a bit. And I think they, they came like, I suppose, in any cycle of a crisis, there's a, an initial bit where you go, what earth is going on? And then as it settles a bit, I think that, our updates became more about helping clients make specific strategies for, for themselves. But at the time, it was a way of helping our clients. And I think just keeping abreast of it and not getting too overwhelmed by it. But there are other people doing stuff. Some is massive, some is smaller, but there is opportunity. And I think that's why something like the whole thing of COVID that gave people and gives people a chance to pivot as we say and I think I think that you need to know what other people are doing in order that you've got some form of information about what to do yourself. So are you part of the group that says we're going it's it's all changed no. it's Armageddon and there's going to be a whole new normal <laughs> that everyone's going to have to get used to or are you on the and I think you may have alluded to this the group that says all that's happened is this has accelerated changes that we've seen through necessity, and that it's really going to be along follow that direction. I, I'm in the latter predominantly. Um, I probably think I was in the former in the first couple of weeks, just because I suppose you want it, you wanted things to change. I think there's a third thing emerging. I, I think where people will evaluate their general strategies and work out whether they've got a good one or not. And I, and I think you look at some, I mean, things like the airline business, they're not going to be the same, so they can't continue to be the same. But then other, other businesses are almost unchanged and there is an accelerant nature. But I, I look at something like, when I was thinking about this, who, who has changed, who hasn't changed? And you look at something like Nike, I think, the notion of, they've had, what I admire about them is at the same side of the 25 years. But the way that they quite quickly didn't change it, they just applied it in, in a new way, like, playing for the world inside, it felt like another anthemic piece of Nike work, but utterly connected to what's going on now. So I think 
I think most things will stay the same, but I think I think there will be discrepancy between brands that feel like they know exactly where they're going, and I think there will be a, a bucket of brands that will be quite unsettled by a change in context. But it's sort of a luck of the draw. Yes, it's like we're heading this way as they point in 316 <laughs> exactly. different directions. And I think it's luck of the draw, isn't it, as to what category you're in? Well, I, perhaps, but also, you know, because you'd have to say that there's an underlying importance for having a strategy. Uh, yeah. Right? That it... That if you're, yeah, and this is a, a conversation that has been happening two or three years before the pandemic, which is this thing about short term versus medium term versus long term, yeah. and should we be planning for the, you know, or putting a strategy in for the long term, but then how does that uh, adopt to short term tactical requirements and, and the like? And that perhaps a lot of people got so caught up. In just responding yeah. to to you know what was happening, that they actually forgot that they had a long term strategy. I mean, what what's your belief around you know the sort of periods of time that you should be planning out? I, I think you should be looking at something that should a strategy for me should last three to five years. I think your plans along that way can obviously change, but I think if you I think annually is far too short because I just don't think if you're in a big company you just can't get people on board and also you've got nothing to show for it so a strategy becomes quite a theoretical thing so I, I think absolutely I'd go long-term simple strategies and a bit more much higher frequency of what are we going to do on that strategy and be prepared to if it doesn't work it doesn't mean to, if your initial plan doesn't work it doesn't mean to say that your strategy is wrong and, I, and I, I do I've said it before I think there's too much energy put in in complicated strategies and the process of strategy where really where we are where we should be should be quite simple mm. you know like you know are two supermarkets ever going to be radically different you know one might be better than the other but you know one's not going to be about something and something else is going to be about something completely different so I, I feel like you should be aiming for a five-year one and, and trying to do stuff quickly along the way well certainly from a business perspective they will have five to ten year plans yeah. So marketing should be aligned to those same objectives, shouldn't they? Yeah, and I also think that we get bored of marketing ideas and creative ideas way before the public do. They don't really mind. Right? I think the majority of what we probably do, we think about it far more than they do. So I sort of feel like, like with anything, you've got to say the same thing 10 times before I don't know, 60% of the people will hear it twice. So I, I feel like by moving around too often... You just your voice is, is diminished, I would say, and I think that, yeah, just keep keep trucking. And I think obviously with ten years of people, maybe people move strategy because they they want to impact. But I, I I take my hat off to the brands like Nike, like the IKEAs, who you know just continue to know what they are doing. But also the UK was yeah. brilliant at that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Carling Black Label, Carlsberg, yeah, Carlsberg, yeah. Uh, Hamlet cigars, Hamlet cigars you know, all of these classics yes, that had campaigns that yeah. just went on and on and on for years and years and years, and built. You know, we're sitting here as, well, I'll say one old man, but you know, <laughs> no, re- recounting, uh, recounting yeah. advertising that was charming. Yeah, it left a indelible impression. It uh, was yeah. memorable. You know, and it created brand equity that uh, 30 years later, 40 years Still later, 
we still own, you know, we yeah, still carry it around. I just don't understand why, why we moved away from it. All the evidence would tell you, you know, all the IPA work, the field work, all is telling you that long term is better. And then, yes, of course, you need to have tactical stuff around it. For the life of me, I don't necessarily understand why, why, well, why it's not done more. So, so I would argue that it's because people have collapsed strategy and execution into being the same thing. And so yeah. what they're actually doing is changing execution. Because, you know, let's take Hamlet. That was a campaign of, I think it was about 20 different yeah. ads, all yeah. on the same strategy, yeah, absolutely. but all brilliantly executed in different perspectives uh, over time, you know. Uh, you, you mentioned Nike and Ikea, you know, they, they're constantly true to their strategy, but the execution always is refreshed or I, I, different. Yeah, or I, I think know. I do think the world's more complicated, though. I think Hamlet had an advertising strategy, a consistent advertising strategy, TV strategy, whereas I think Nike has got a consistent understanding of its brand more than its communication, whether that's sponsorship or whether that's mm. ha what, what stance it takes in... in political matters. So I think the world is more complex and I think perhaps uh, that brands might have to do many different things that they find it harder to be consistent, but I'm not sure that I would let brands off the hook like that. I think I think you can have yeah. a consistency. See, I, I think the complexity is now just the number of pallets that yeah. you can execute across. Because, yeah. you know, Hamlet was TV. Nike is the same strategy across yeah. everything from sponsorship to yeah. advertising to product development to store design. You know, it's just more, it's, it's more about planning than it is about strategy. It's yeah. more about applying the strategy to each of those. And every day there's new ways, you know, we've got TikTok now. Yeah, you know, and, and so it's not about having a strategy for TikTok. No, it's, it's about yeah. how to take the strategy yeah. and make that work in TikTok. Yeah. And if it doesn't work in TikTok, then maybe TikTok is not right? the environment. You know, because this is the other thing that annoys me about strategy and another old piece of wisdom I was given, which is the most important thing about strategy is not telling you what to do, but what not to do. Yep. And I just feel that too many brands are trying to do everything when they don't have the resources to do I, everything. I, I, I agree with you. I do agree. And I think perhaps uh, when you talk about the heyday of, in the UK, I mean, I can talk about the UK because it's closer to home, but, but I think brands, brand owners and, and agencies were much more aligned on what good looked like at, at that point. I think now there are perhaps not, not agendas, that sounds like, you know, there are different points of view. I think there is an obsession with the new that has happened since the, since the internet, which I think often is... What's, what's the cool channel I should be in as, rather than, as you say, is it the right one for me to be in or how do I show up in that? I think there's people are blinded by choice, I suppose. Well, and, and because of those increased number of pallets, uh, marketers are now sitting there with an increased number of suppliers, yeah. agencies all sitting there saying, choose me, choose, yeah. <laughs> look, Absolutely. give me more of your money, yeah, take know, it out of that, you know. I mean, what it has done is put a greater responsibility on marketers yeah. to actually make those calls. So I think that's one of the, you know, Nike has an agency, Wyden Kennedy, but, you know, they also yeah. have the marketers are making those decisions. Yeah. They're taking the responsibility. They don't abdicate to the agency. They don't give that responsibility away. 
they go of all these things because you know the agency's not sitting there going, oh, you should sponsor this event or yeah. sponsor this player. That's made by the business. That's made by, yeah. as a marketing decision. But I wonder whether that, I think, wonder whether it's not necessarily how good your strategy is, but how good your decision making is that maybe determines successful execution of said strategy. I mean, I'm not sure that. But doesn't the strategy become the framework for those absolutely. decisions? I mean, it's either yeah. in or out of strategy. Yeah, absolutely. It's either on strategy or it's not on no, strategy. No, I, I totally agree. But I think that, I, I think that the successful building of a framework. I think is one of the best things strategy can do. But you see frameworks that are written down that they look like a sort of electrical circuit board. You sort of go, I don't know where I... Like decision trees. Yes, no. But I remember that, I don't know, because I watched it the other day and I thought it was fascinating. It's called called The War Room. It was about Clinton's election versus Bush in 92. And that, you know that guy, uh, James Carville? But he, you know, that's where that phrase came in. In all the decision making that's going on in the campaign room, by hour by hour, with the changing environment, now you have those three things written up: is the economy stupid, more change rather than less of it, and don't forget the healthcare. And that was a framework which I think doesn't. You don't, you don't need a degree to understand that, and you can apply it as you see fit in when a decision comes across your table. And I think that's for, for me, strategy. It becomes. Colloquial. I remember hearing somewhere that KFC had a uh, pride in the fried, right? And I, I sort of think that that's a really good sort of end line, but it's a really good understanding. We know what we are, and this is what we do. We're not going to try and go down the quinoa route. We're going to go, you know, be proud about what we do, and I think it helps you decide. And you mentioned you in, you mentioned this earlier, which is great strategy is about taking the complex. Yeah. And reducing it to the simple. Yeah. So if you could reduce all of the complexity of all of the things you must consider down to pride in the fried I, I think it's, or yeah. three talking points yeah. or whatever, yeah. then you'd have to say that's uh, yeah. the ultimate in good strategy. And that's what we've always, Fallon taught me that. Like, I don't think sometimes, I think planning can often try and overcome, make it more complex than it need be. And you go, you asked me right at the beginning, what have I learned? I think a long way is that you can be confident in actually saying less or or writing less and going, the strategy is this. And what you can say in two charts is as useful as what you can say in 30. Isn't it funny because, you know, everyone says uh, management consultants will always present (laughs) no more than six. But you try getting out of an agency presentation without... Without 60 charts. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I mean, I think, yes. I, and, and look, a lot of those are actually planning. Yeah. It's implementation. Yeah. The strategy could be done in two or three Yeah, charts, and I, I think it, it, I still, as again, I go back to it. Strategy is a way of a framework of agencies and marketeers getting better marketing and straight creative work. So it shouldn't dominate. It should make you feel safe. It should make you feel inspired. It should make give you a decision, you know, help you make decisions quickly. And I think that's why in a crisis, your strategy is always going to be boiled down to what the really the major parts of it, whether you like it or not, because certain bits will help you and certain bits won't help you. And a, and a, a crisis accelerates and, and stress tests as a strategy, doesn't it? Well, I think, you know, we saw in uh, February and March, the sort of, oh, 
yeah. hell, what's yeah. happened here, you know, which is natural. People were, yeah. you know, were all caught off guard. But if you had a strong long-term strategy, then you'd be sitting there with everything coming across your desk going, does it work? Doesn't work. Doesn't in work? Out. Doesn't work. Oh, I have to cut my budget by 30%? Yeah. Right. Now I'm going to just put a matrix yeah. in place that goes everything that isn't important is not yeah. going to get done. Yeah, absolutely. You know? these, these are very simple decision-making uh, uh, exercises, but they require you not to have spent the past 12 months or two years just re reacting to everything. Absolutely. Because if you're in a mentality of reacting, when that hits, what's your reaction? I'm going to go and bury myself yeah. in a cave for the next 12 months and hope it goes away. Yeah, and you haven't got 12 months. No. You really haven't. You know, we always say, like, don't waste a crisis. I mean, it, it, everyone's focused on a crisis and you can make decisions and a higher volume of them and some wrong ones in an environment that you doesn't come around the whole time, right? Mm. I'm not wishing further crises on anyone. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I love the optimism of advertising because <laughs> the people that are already calling it post-COVID uh, <laughs> should be looking at the numbers globally oh. because I don't think it's post-anything. I think we're right in the, the no. in the middle of this storm. In fact, you know, at, uh, to use that metaphor, maybe we're in the eye of the hurricane yeah. and it's going to get bad again. Yeah, I mean, yes. I think who knows? I think you've got to, you know, anxiety is sort of caused by not being able to control stuff. And I think we've got to be more comfortable living in the grey, which is why I think having simple strategies that you could have different planning to in the next quarter versus this quarter is going to be more helpful than, you know, this is how you solve COVID, COVID, because I just don't think that's not realistic, right? Yeah. But I think, the, I think the industry is always optimistic because we always get punched down. You've got no choice other than to get back up, right? <laughs> so the people who are left in it, I think by nature, are quite optimistic about... As long as you're not reduced to one of those punching bags, you know, <laughs> with the sand in the bottom. And every yeah. time you get punched, uh, yeah. you, you go down more, and more. you come back up with a big smile painted, <laughs> printed on your no. face. Yeah, because if anything, I probably get uh, accused of being chicken little, going, "Oh, the sky's falling in, the sky's <laughs> falling." <in." laughs> yeah. I was going to say, um, so it's interesting because I imagine that the last three or four months have actually been quite challenging, because you're working with clients that are mm. in this state of, you know, what's going to happen? I need some sort of guidance or certainty around what's going to happen at a time when there is less certainty than there ever yeah. was. Yeah, it has been challenging. I think it's been challenging on... I think I think over time, everyone has realised that you can't simply... However clever people think they are, you, you can't necessarily plan your way out of it. And I think that... I think different things have come to the fore, like the importance of, of communication. I think the importance of transparency. I think the importance of being, as I said, I think being quite more comfortable in grey. I think one of the big things that's come out of this is that brand, how brands as businesses treat their staff is becoming much more of a consumer issue. So I sort of feel like we're having conversations with our clients that are sometimes as internal as they are external. And you sort of go, if a, if a category has had to, you know, like lay off lots of people, is it the right optics or even the right thing to do to then go and put up a, a large campaign? So I, I'm not sure I've had those conversations 
before what was an internal decision with nothing to do with the marketing. And I think they're slightly intertwining. Ollie Taylor, we've run out of time. It's been terrific. Thanks for making time to coming and having a chat on uh, managing marketing. I loved it. Um, thank you very much for having me. Uh, before you go, one last question. Of all the brands you've worked on, which is the one that you've been most proud of? Thank you.